Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and boy, has it been a timely message for us. The things that have come up and the concepts, it's like it was just taken out of today's newspaper. And so with that said, there's no difference today, but I I am excited to say that this week uh, we are talking primarily not about the divisions in the church, not about what people were doing that was wrong. We're going to talk about what God did that is right. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 19 today. And believe it or not, we're talking about Jesus. And what he has done. And I love this because after Paul has just spent the last 14 chapters dissecting problems and answering questions that were submitted to him by the Corinthians. What do we do about this? What do we do about that? The church at Corinth was in an age to where the secular movement, the um, the sin and the 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 woke kind of thing that we have today, it was very prevalent back in that day. It's called something different all throughout history, but uh, this all-out assault on godly values was strong in Corinth. It was a a, a Greek city uh, in the Roman Empire, so it was the church was really trying to figure out how much do they need to be like where they live and how much do they need to be different. And so that whole this whole time that we've gone through this has been so eye-opening, and I encourage you to read through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to catch up to where we're at, you can go to our website, and all the sermons are there that we've preached uh, since 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But with that said, let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we've already experienced in worship today. And it is my prayer as we read your word, Lord, that it would change hearts. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're talking about all because of Jesus. And if you are using the Bible app, uh, you can actually pull up the notes and the points. Again, I apologize for usually they're on the screen, but uh, we're making accommodations this week for VBS. And I promise you, all of my points are right out of the text. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. But the resurrection is the foundation of Christianity and the foundation of the gospel. When I say the gospel, I mean the story of Jesus Christ, the good news. And it's one thing that distinguishes, think about it, the one thing that distinguishes Christianity from any other religion or cult is the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus Christ was the only deity to walk this earth to say that he was going to resurrect and in three days prove that. Now you would think that any person who considers himself a Christian, would believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus. In other words, it wasn't a folklore. It wasn't something propagated by people to make people think that Jesus was real. This was literally something that happened. But for the most part, most Christians do believe that the resurrection is the literal resurrection. But uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the Barna Research Group, but they surveyed in 2001, they surveyed a 1,000 Americans who... Of Christians, 11% said they did not believe in the literal literal resurrection of Jesus. And I would venture to guess that in today, some 20-some years later, that that number would be even greater. But since Corinth was a Greek city and the Greeks did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, many were laughing at Paul when he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. 
And they were skeptical and they wanted to to disregard what Paul was saying. But Paul knew the importance of the doctrine. Matter of fact, when he was preaching about the resurrection, they laughed at them. If you want to go back and look at that account, it's in Acts 17, verse 32. But Paul knew the importance. So he addressed this basic question with being Are the dead raised? That was the first question. And so many in the Corinthian church believed Jesus was raised from the dead, but there were some that were skeptical. You may be here today, my friends. You may be here today and you've got some questions. It's okay to have questions. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, God is big enough for your biggest questions. God is big enough for your biggest emotions. God is big enough for your bitterness. God is big enough For you're not understanding what he's doing. God is big enough for your rebellion because he loves you. And that is what this resurrection shares with us. So let's go ahead and just jump into God's word. And we're going to see for our our first section today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And this is the impact of the good news or the gospel is the proof of the resurrection. Some translations calls this uh, the good news. The others call it the gospel. Just to let you know, good news is the gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news is just something that that back in that day, any kind of good news would have been called. That's the gospel. But the good news story here today is what Paul is talking about in these passages. And so I'm going to give you this morning three proofs, three proofs to know that the resurrection is real. And the first thing we see is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. He says, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news or the gospel. So here he is telling the church, Let me remind you why we are here. I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you will stand firm in it. You welcomed it. And you will stand firm in it. Stand firm in it is important. We'll talk about that in a minute. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So Paul is setting this up and saying, look, I have preached the truth to you and you are in good standing Unless you think that what I've taught you is a lie. The word gospel, as I said a moment ago, means good news. And it didn't have to describe the salvation message. It could describe any good news that they were having. But the good news of the gospel is only beneficial in someone's life for two reasons. When they receive it and then when they stand firm in it. You see, Paul believes the Corinthians are holding firmly to the word of God in this passage. Therefore, they are saved. But the best news ever is that we can be saved from punishment because we deserve God's wrath. But because of what he did for us through Jesus, we can be exempt of that. So let's, let's talk just a minute about to stand firm. What good is salvation if someone prays a prayer or walks an aisle as a child or a teenager without changing their lives. Now, 
Look, this is not uh, a, a message on eternal security. I believe that uh, the Bible teaches that once saved, always saved. But at the same time, it does not mean that we can get our, our certificate of fire insurance and then just live like we want to. My friends, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, there will be life change. Some of you say, well, preacher, I've been a, a Christian ever since I was a kid, and, and I don't know any change. This is what I've always been. Well, that is great, as long as the, what you are living now is in accordance to God's word. The people that I'm scared about, and it may have been even been people that I had encountered and maybe even been responsible for, is especially in children's VBSs and, and, and youth camps and all of these things where the preacher gets up there and they have a, a big emotional plea and then the kids come forward and they pray to receive Christ and then that's all they do with it. And by the time they get to the parking lot, Whatever spirituality was going on that week is sucked out of them from the, from the parking lot. There's never a life change. The scariest person and the most insecure person, the one that the devil loves the most, is that person that is sitting in a pew just like you. And because they walked the aisle or said a prayer, they feel like they're saved, but there was never any life change. I'm not saying you have lost your salvation. I'm asking you, is it? viable? Is it real? Has it changed your life? Does it make a difference? And that is what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, look, you can become saved, but then you have to stand in it. How powerful is a faith that has no conviction, no purpose? So the sentence you believe something that was never true in the first place, in other words, some translations say, otherwise everything you believe is in vain means that the gospel assures them of salvation unless the supposed faith they had was actually empty and worthless. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the message of Jesus Christ is not empty and worthless. But the way that we employ it in our life, if you have given your life to Jesus, that is not a, I'll give him this part and this part. This is an entire giving of your life to the Lord. Not only believing in Jesus, but standing in it. And making choices that reflect that. So that is proof of the resurrection. The second thing, the second proof is the scripture itself, especially in the Old Testament. He says in verses 3 and 4, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. There is not a clearer description of what the gospel is. If you're on Jeopardy or Family Feud and they ask you what is the gospel, if you share with them 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4, you will give the right answer. This is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is tying everything into. This was not something Paul made up. It was given to him by Jesus himself at his conversion when he was on the road to Damascus. And so Paul is emphasizing the most important truth he could pass on with this gospel. 
Folks, the gospel is more important than any message a church can proclaim. It doesn't matter what our t-shirts are like. It doesn't matter what our banners and social medias are like. It doesn't matter what we have on the stage or what we have in the pews or how clean and good looking the carpet is or how nice our gym is or what people think about us in our community. All of those are secondary. They are outside factors. The only thing that matters is that we are standing on preaching and living Living the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. If we are not about the gospel, let's close the doors and become a civic organization. Or give the church to somebody who will stand on the gospel. Uh, this past week has been amazing. We had a missionary team from Florida come in. And we were actually doing street evangelism in Homeland Park. Door to door evangelism. Knocking on doors. Going, oh, in Homeland Park? Yes, in Homeland Park. And there were people that were needy. There were people that were tweaked out. There were people that were spaced out. But there were also people that were hurting and needing somebody to come to them. And we shared the gospel message with them. And during this week, I had the privilege of telling that missionary trip on how we started from Tin Town, and a lady that was a clerk at Belts had a vision for the people in Tin Town, and that is why the church is here. We are not a split because somebody at a church thought they could do it better somewhere else. We are here because of missions. We are here to outreach the community and share the gospel with them. That is our grassroots. We need to remember that, and we need to get back to it. He says, Christ died for our sins. This is not a story time. This is not a folk story. This is an actual event. But the trap is, when I just said, Christ died for our sins, here is the trap. You know what it is? You may already know what I'm going to say. We hear it so much. It's almost like those things you hear and say at a funeral. Well, they're in a better place. They're not going to have any pain anymore. Don't they look good? All of these different things that we say. And look, I'm not making fun of those things, but those are things that if you are the one and it's your family in the casket or the urn, you you expect those things and they do make you feel better and you remember the people that said that. But there again, they're, they're words, they're phrases that you expect to hear. So I believe that when we are in church and we hear that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, we're like... Amen. Let's move on. What's for lunch? We have to be careful. I was sitting here thinking about this, and I was thinking about the many times that I tell Donna that I love her. I tell Don, I make a point every day to tell Donna, I love you. Every day. Sometimes I'll ask her, Donna, have I told you I love you? And she'll say no, even if I have. She just wants to hear it. But you know what? She does the same thing to me. We don't want a day to go by without communicating that. And every time I say it, folks, I mean it. I do. But sometimes it may just be a way to end a conversation or say goodbye on the phone. You remember back when you were dating and you, the person on the other end of the line you were in love with? Are you going to say it? No, you say it first. I said it last time. Or if you're, you're married, you've been married a lot, long time and and they say, okay, this is what I needed from the store. Okay, bye. You didn't tell me you left me. 
Well, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it, every time I tell Donna I love her, I mean it. Every time she tells me she loves me, I know she means it. But folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. There are some times when words cannot contain the love I have for her and the love that she has for me. The term, I love you, is not big enough to contain the meaning of what that love means. Whether it be when one of us is sick or the other one is struggling, one is weak and the other one is stronger, where that love is tested and it's shown and means so much and words are inept to do that. But just because sometimes we say it in passing and we go on, it doesn't make it any less. But there are sometimes, again, where you feel it. And my, my, my message to you today is, you've heard Christ died for your sins so many times. Feel it! Let it in! Remember what it was like. Have you been a Christian a long time? Do you remember what it was like to be lost? Do you remember what it was like to feel the conviction of your sins and own them? And all of a sudden Jesus saying, I don't care what you got. You are covered and forgiven because Christ died for our sins. Don't let Christ died for your sins roll off of your tongue or pass in one ear and out the other without truly feeling that statement. Because here's some facts about Christ's death on the cross. Number one, crucifixion was the most heinous form of execution the Romans ever developed. It was designed to produce a slow, agonizing death. Before the prisoner was even placed on the cross, they were flogged and scourged where they would take a whip that had bones and metal and glass in it and they would rake it across the back of the prisoner's back to where it was literally made to pull the skin off of their back. To where by the end of that, before they're even on the cross, their back looks like hamburger meat. And all of a sudden they put a robe around them and they take them to the cross only to when they get there, rip it off and all of those to the places where the prisoner is bleeding, now become open sores again. Muscle spasms. They say that when the nails are placed in the hands, it would hit some nerves there that would rack your entire body. And the thing is, with crucifixion, you would think it's the pain of the nails, but no, it is suffocation is the main mechanism of execution on the crucifixion, because you cannot extend your rib cage and you're not able to breathe, your chest sits on your diaphragm, and you are basically suffocating. Dehydration, stress, shock, congestive heart failure, all of these things led to them, the prisoner dying, and we know that Jesus died of some type of heart failure, because the Bible says that when his side was pierced, you know what came out? Blood and water. That means that his heart exploded. Because he died for you and your sins and for me. And after a while, insects, they would burrow into the blood and the wounds of the victim. Animals would come and rest on the bodies and feast on them as vultures would take these bodies apart. It was the height 
of humility and the height of punishment. And many through the ages died by crucifixion. So what made Jesus so different? I'll tell you what made it different. Jesus was sinless. He was not guilty of any crime, yet he died for the penalty of your sin and mine. Jesus could have bailed at any moment, but he didn't because he knew your life was at stake. Your eternal security was at stake. So the physical pain that he went through was not the worst thing that Jesus went through. You know what the worst thing that Jesus went through was? If you go back to the garden, if you remember, he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. That was not literally a cup for him to drink. What he was talking about is in the Bible, that cup represented God's wrath. So all of God's hatred of sin and punishment of sin is ready. And he's got it ready to throw it. And he is ready to throw it at you and me for our sins. But he takes this wrath of his, this cup of wrath, and he pours it out on his only son. Christ died for your sins. He took God's wrath for your for your place that tornado that was headed straight for you was diverted towards God's sinless son now when i say all this you're probably going to think oh poor jesus i feel so sorry for jesus Jesus doesn't want you to feel sorry for him. You know who you need to feel sorry for? The people that hear that and reject it. You need to feel sorry for the people that hear and the Holy Spirit talks to their heart and tells them what Jesus has done for their sins. And they say, I don't want it. That's the person you need to feel sorry for. He was buried. You don't bury live people, folks. Him being buried was proof that he was dead. And it also fulfilled scripture in Isaiah 53 and Matthew 27. And then here's the thing. He was raised again on the third day. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, verse 4. It wasn't the second day. It wasn't the first day. It wasn't the fourth day. It wasn't a week later. It was on the third day. Why was it important for it to be on the third day? It's because Jesus himself said that he would rise on the third day in Matthew chapter 16, 17, and 20. The resurrection is your receipt that God accepted Christ's payment for your sin and mine. So as we celebrate Easter, just like if you, you get something home or you order it online and it doesn't work, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to send this back. What do they want? They want a receipt. They want a proof of payment. The resurrection is proof of payment that your sins are paid for if you are willing to take the deal. He did what he said he would do. The Lamb of God that was slain for your sins and mine. The third proof are witnesses. It says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15 that he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. The term Peter, it might say Cephas there, same guy. So what we know here just by this in verse 5 is, although it's not chronicled in the Bible, We don't know what happened in that meeting. We don't have the minutes from this meeting. But we know at some point after Jesus died, he went 
to Peter and talked with him. This is before he publicly reinstated him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? This is some private conversation that he and Peter had. Then to the twelve. And after that, he was seen more than 500 of his followers at one time. There were actually people that called themselves scientists that claimed that this is fake. And this text here means that there was a mass hallucination. Now, which is the greater miracle? Jesus rising from the dead or 500 people having the same hallucination at the same time? I don't get it. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom were still alive, although some had died. Some translations say that they had fallen asleep. That means died. Then he was sent by James and after Later, by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him, is what Paul is saying, on the road to Damascus. I know what I'm talking about because I have seen him. You don't see dead people today unless you dig them up. Jesus was died. Jesus was dead, and he rose again. And then Paul says in verse 9, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Guys, you got to remember, as awesome as Paul was, he was a bad dude. He likely killed Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible in the New Testament. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And I imagine as he said that, Some of those memories came up in his mind. Let me tell you what, folks. Was Paul forgiven of those sins? Absolutely. Did God want him to live in those sins? Absolutely not. He delivered them by God's grace, and he goes on to say that. But what is the lesson for you and for me? My friends, when we sin, we can be forgiven. But that doesn't mean that the memories will go away. But just as good as God was to forgive you of that sin, so is he good to help you through those memories. Paul is feeling a little bit of guilt here. He's remembering what he used to do. But what does he say here? He says, but whatever I am now, in verse 10, whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. That's called grace. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any other apostle, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. I don't care if you go to this church. I don't care if you go to the church down the street. I don't care if you go to the church in another state. Wherever you go to church, go to a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to come here, but go to a church where they preach the gospel. Paul here was not boasting or flexing by saying he works harder than any other apostles because he knew that his power came from God, so it didn't matter who worked the hardest. Paul had worked hard to get over his past, and there were a lot of people that didn't believe him at first. Oh yeah, Paul, you're, you're that guy. You're that guy that was killing Christians. Now you're trying to save them. Who do you think you are? Yeah, he had to fight that. 
But regardless of your past, God will work through you for his glory. Regardless of your past, God will work through you for his glory. Then finally, in verses 12 through 13, we move to Jesus' resurrection proves our own. Because some were arguing that there was no resurrection of the dead for believers. But it says, verse 12, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. So, without Jesus' resurrection, there will be no resurrection for others. Folks, the resurrection is the hope for those who give their lives to Jesus. It is the hope for a family member who's clinging to the memory of their loved one at a funeral that was a believer. It's the hope we hold on to as days grow darker spiritually. The resurrection says that life is going to get better, that whatever we're living now is not as good as it gets. My friends, if you are a believer and you you go to funerals, you have people that have passed and they are believers, this is why you have hope. The resurrection. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you do not have no hope. Tony Evans says, Our salvation depends on the truth that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God whose death paid for our sins and whom God vindicated by raising Him from the grave. Without this, we have no sinless Savior, no high priest who always is willing to intercede for us, no forgiveness, no hope of being raised because we are dead to ourselves. All because of Jesus, we have Redemption, all because of Jesus, we have salvation because of the resurrection. In verses 14 through 19, they say, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. So Paul is kind of flipping the script there and making them think. He's saying, verse 15, And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In case all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, if this is not true, If the resurrection is not true, we've just been wasting our lives and wasting our time. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we've wasted our time this morning. If Christ has not risen from the dead, I have wasted my life and the calling upon my life. The words of the Bible and the apostles would be unproven theories and lies. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we have again wasted our time. The words of the Bible... What if they were untrue? But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of us are damned to hell with no forgiveness of sin. If the resurrection didn't happen. If Jesus did not have power over death, then he was not God. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in Christianity at all. 
But if you do believe in resurrection, you do believe in Christianity, you know that that is the linchpin, the bedrock, the foundation to why we are here this morning. We serve a risen Savior who is alive today that died for your sins and mine. So it's not something we just get excited about when Easter comes so we can wear our Easter clothes and hide Easter eggs and do all of those things along with Easter. We are celebrating it because because of the resurrection, we have hope today. And for eternity. But thankfully, he did raise from the dead. John eleven twenty five says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Folks, Jesus Christ rose, he lives, and he is returning again. Verse 19, let's look at this as we close. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more than pitied than anyone else in the world. What did he mean by that? In Paul's day, placing one's faith in Christ cost them something. It may mean they didn't get the job they wanted to do. It might mean they lost their job. It may mean, like in some countries still today, if you accept Christ, you are shunned from the family. In some countries, you accept Christ, you are killed. Over here, right? oh my goodness, I might have to go into a store that sells something I don't like. Oh, persecution. Over there, they're losing their lives for Christ, folks. It's one thing that distinguishes Christianity from any other belief, religion, or cult. The resurrection proves that Jesus was God and he died for your sins and mine. Paul reminds us that the church is all about Jesus. Everything else is secondary. My friends, if you are trapped in your sins today, the resurrected Christ says you are forgiven if you simply come to me. So to close this, I would say, if all the skeptics are right, and there was no resurrection, and all of this is a lie, I wouldn't change one thing that I've done. Because my life with Christ has been so much better than when I was living it on my own and running into a ditch. I know what Paul means when he says, by God's grace, we are her. So if we are wrong, I have no regrets. (laughs) But if we are right, what a day that'll be. He is resurrected. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our time this morning. And Lord, I know we don't have an invitation song planned this morning. Uh, Plans have changed. But Lord, the invitation is simply going to be this. If there is one person here today that would say, Pastor, God's word was just speaking straight to me today. And I am not sure if my sins are forgiven. I don't want to be that person that they think they're saved, but they're not. If there's one person that believes that, that thinks that, may they not leave today. I will not leave until everybody is gone. But Lord, today may be the day that they find salvation. Maybe there's someone that just wants to pray. I'll pray with them. Or maybe there's just something that a lot of people just have to think about some things and they want to talk later. That's fine. But don't, if God is knocking on your heart this morning to accept him and to stand firm in that, do not reject his calling. It may be the last time. We love you, Lord, for it's in your name we pray.